Hello everyone and welcome back to Inside Art Scroll, where the books you read and the people who write them come to life. Today we are joined by Rabbi Nachman Seltzer, author of a brand new book, The Insider, about the life and times of Yisrael Katzover. Thank you, Rabbi Nachman, for joining us. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. So I must tell you right off the bat that we've heard from readers here at Art Scroll that this book, hands down, is one of the best you've ever written. Could you tell us why you think that is? So, Yisrael Katzover is actually one of, the, one of the most unique people that I've written about. The reason he's so unique is because he bridges many worlds. He himself, you know, he wears the Kippur Suga, but he grew up in Katamon. He went to a Hasidic Shecheder. He's close to the Belzer Rebbe. He was close to Ravadi Yosef. He was close to Prime Minister Yitzchak Rabin. He was close to, he's close to Bibi Netanyahu. He's close to people who are from, not from, Mizrahi, in the middle, every type of Jew, beloved by everyone. He's been part of, the, he's been a, a journalist, a very, very successful journalist, military, dipl- diplomatic, political, for over 50 years. So he's a very unique personality who has really been all, all over the world. And when you take that, combine it together with a person who's an Erl Chayid, close to Gedolim, it really encompasses all of the different camps and just so much of Jewish history in the last 60 years. You've got to have a very interesting book. This is what comes out. And this book is packed full of stories. Every, it's a real page turner. Every other page is another interesting encounter with a politician, with a godel, his forays into the music industry. It's just an unbelievable collection of fascinating vignettes and anecdotes. And there's a lot to get to. We have limited amount of time. But let's start with one particular incident, we'll call it, when Yisrael almost brought down the government due to his stance on Shmir Shabbos. Talk about that for a moment. So he told me that. What I, he, got, he got a call from the army, army spokesman's office. They tell him that he's invited to an event where America is bringing in four F-15s from the first time they get in this plane and it's landing at an airbase. And he, he took down the date, and he realized he must have made a mistake because the date's Arab Shabbos, the actual ceremonies, Arab Shabbos candlelighting time. And he basically says, it's got to be a mistake. You, you, the army's supposed to keep Shabbos, and it can't be that you're making this huge event that's going to cause tremendous chil Shabbos because thousands of people are going to come to the airbase to, air to be part of the event. So what happens? He, he's, he talks to Mavadi Yosef about it. What should he do? And he tells him he should try to, to get the event stopped. And he speaks to the head of the Air Force, the head of General Benny Pellet. He says, nothing to talk about. It's going to happen. And Rabin knew about it. And everyone knew about it. And Pellet says to him, Let's, I'll bring you a helicopter. Well, I'll take you back from the army base to Katamon where you live. You'll get there before Shabbos. He said, it's not about me, Benny. It's not about me. It's about the people coming. It's Chil Shabbos. It's wrong. The state of Israel should not be involved with Chil Shabbos. So... They didn't listen to him. And in the end, he went public with it, which was a little bit against the rules. And he's not, because the censor is still get, not given permission. And he broke the rules. And he, it didn't work. And they had the event. Now, he was the secretary for a party in the Knesset called Pai. Paul Egoris Yisrael. So the next week, right after the event, he submits a no-confidence motion in the government. He's able to do it because of his role in the Knesset. And he gets it signed by different Chavik Knessets, and he submits it. And the government fell. Rabin's government fell because of this 
of what he did. He brought down the government, the only civilian in Israeli history to ever bring down the government. And he did it for Kavit Shabbos. And after that, Rabin, who used to be friends with him, was very upset at him, especially his wife, Leah Rabin, wouldn't look at him. But even Yitzchak Rabin wouldn't talk to him. If they were at a, a, a briefing together, Rabin would not look at him. If he asked a question, he wouldn't look at his eyes when he, when he answered it. He was very upset at him. And he said to me, oh, for many years, this was, this was going on, and then like 10 years later, I think it was, he's at an event, he's, he was on a, on, a, on a briefing, and I, I think it was Hebron, and, and, and Rabin was there, Maybe it was Gaza. No, it was Gaza. I think it was Gaza. And then he, he, Rabin flew in a helicopter. And he asked the pilots, where are they flying back to? They said, Yushalayim. So he said, can I get a ride back with you? They said, sure. Now, Rabin didn't know that he's sharing, he's getting a, a hitch in the helicopter. And he, he takes a seat in the helicopter. Rabin comes into the helicopter. He sees he saw all cats over there. He's mad at cats over there. He won't look at him. But halfway through the flight, Rabin sticks out his hand to him and he says, look, let's forget about it, let's be bygones, you did your job, I did my job, let's make shalom. And they become friends again. And that leads to a whole other story with the, with the Pnei Menachem, and, uh, but, but it's just amazing stuff. The fact that he was Meister Nefesh, he put his job on the line, but Shabbos comes first, and he brought down the government for covered Shabbos. It really is incredible, and Yisrael, despite being a journalist, and I say despite because there's a perception, especially a military war journalist, of someone who maybe wouldn't mind provoking, extremely responsible person, um, and you see that throughout the book, how he's so well respected by people in all echelons of government, and one of the people who's highlighted in the book, uh, who was held in very high esteem by Yisrael himself, is Shimon Peres, who he credits with a tremendous amount of that slacha as far as the government leaving yeshivas alone. Talk about that for a moment. And he talks about Shimon Peres' encounter with the Chavetz Chaim uh, specifically. Right. So he said that Shimon Peres used to talk a lot about the fact that uh, they had a connection with the Chavetz Chaim. He went for a bracha of the Chavetz Chaim. When he was little, he saw him. And that made a tremendous impact on his life. And he, he, he always remembered the Chavetz Chaim from the, the brief encounter he had. It was something that, he, that made a tremendous impression on him. And he always wanted to, like, to, to watch over the, the from Yedin. And he really did. Ben-Gurion said about Paris, if the people only knew how much Hakaras Atoyv they owed to Shimon Paris, they would think very differently about him. But the Oilam Yeshivas also really owed him a tremendous amount of, of, of gratitude. And people they didn't really know that. Paris had a bad reputation as a, as a loser like, because he always lost elections. And he only really came into himself as the president of Israel. But the, that everyone, you know, tremendous admiration for him. But the truth is, he did tremendous, again, he made mistakes in his life. He had a very long career. But, oh, but he did a lot. For the from Oilam, he did a tremendous amount. And yes. Right, this is actually, um, it's something that Katzover says in the book, that he heard from G'dayle Teira, like Rav Shach, yes. who themselves were Meshabeach, Shimon Paris, tremendously. They obviously felt a tremendous amount of Akar Satayif to him for being there, and, and like the book describes, he attributes, first of all, his, he talks about his Zayda, who is a Chashiva Tamad Chacham, and he, he obviously attributes that warm feeling that he had toward the Haredi community to his encounter with Chavetz Chaim, which is just incredible to read. We know that the Chavetz Chaim, his Hashpa uh, and Kla Yisrael. So this is just one other point, but Chavetz Chaim's Hashpa is so far-reaching that it makes a lot of sense 
that Shimon Peres was Mushba for the Chavetz Chaim. It makes a lot of sense. That's interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And then he describes with great emotion, and I, when I say with great emotion, it's your pen that does the description. And as always, you, you take stories and you, you create this image for the reader that's really incredible. We feel like we're walking in Yisrael Katzever's shoes as you go through describing when he first went to the Kaisal after Israel regained possession of the holiest place. To, uh, walk through that. What was it like to listen to him describe that and to have to put that into words? I'll tell you, he wasn't the first person to tell me that. I also spoke to Israel Gellis about that, Rabbi Gellis in Armand in Jerusalem, and Rabbi Tzayongreis also I wrote about their first visit to the Kaisal. So this is something which people of a certain age who were there, when they describe it, they describe walking through the narrow alleyways, many people going, all of them not knowing how to get there, because they were never there. The excitement in the air is a sizzle. It's, it's mamish, like everybody feels like they're like in a dream. Hayinu kechomim. Hayinu kechomim. They're walking through like on a cloud. The first time to the Kaisel, just very, very short time before, liberated. And, and it was mamish like a dream for these people. For Rabbi Grossman, the same thing. That's where it all started, when he went to the Kaisal after the Six-Day War, and he said to Hashem, I want to give a year of my life to be Mekar of Klai It all started right after the Six-Day War at the Kaisal, when thousands of Yidin just crushed through the doors of the, the gates of, of the old city and just went to the Kaisal. They had no idea how to get there, but it's all, all those people were all living through that monumental moment in Jewish history. You know, this, this book contains many stories that Yisrael, who I should mention, was a journalist for Hamudia for many, many years under the name Eper. Many of the stories he never told before, they appear in this book for the first time. Correct. And perhaps the most fascinating thing that I found in this book is his account of a conversation he had about the Kalim of the Beis HaMikdash and whether they are or aren't to be found in the Vatican. Tell our viewers about that because that's something... That that everyone who has grown up, you know, Jewish, knows the rumor that right. the Kalimut HaBesimikdash are in the Vatican. And Yisrael Katzover, like us, was curious about it. So tell, tell our viewers a little about what he did or didn't find out about the Kalim. Well, I, I don't want to give it away, but I'll tell you that he actually had a meeting. He ha- happened to be sitting next to someone who turned out to be a very high-ranking official in the clergy. And he ends up talking to this person, and he says to him, when he finds out that he's a bishop, and he says, let me ask you a question. And the, and the man already knows what he's going to ask him, which is, you know, because any time he met a Jew, right away the question that every Jew wants to know is, is the Menorah in the Vatican? So the man basically says to Yisrael Katzerer, I know what you're going to ask. And the answer is no. And he basically goes through it, but he, and I, I, want, I don't want to give it away, but he explains why he doesn't believe it's there. And you could take it or leave it. You could say maybe he's just a good actor, maybe, but he gives his reasoning, explains why he doesn't believe it's there. But, um, you know, I'm still left with some doubts myself. I'm not so sure, but uh, you, never, you never know. Now, another part of the book that we're going to leave somewhat of a cliffhanger for the readers, um, but which makes up a, a, a tremendous portion of, of Yisrael Katzover's personal life, is the search for his brother. Right. Talk about the fact that they were separated during the younger years and, uh, and what, the, you know, what the 
goal was in Yisrael searching for him and even engaging the services of investigative parties to find his brother. Right, so Yisrael never met his brother because his brother was disappeared while they were still in Europe and Yisrael was only born after the war. He was born in Austria and so for him he never met his brother but his whole life he's walking around with a hole in his heart because he always, wherever he goes, he's always thinking about his brother and he always wanted to find him. So right when the, 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 when, when the Iron Curtain comes down, one of the first things he did, was able to get permission, he joined the party of Yidin going to Davin and Kivet Tzadikim and he made his way to Azrian, which was the village that his parents lived in and he went to find the house with the well and the cherry tree and to see who's living there now and he describes it, it's a picturesque village. And he really got, again, he was there the first time. He did not have a lot, he did not have a lot of time that first, that first visit. He was just getting his feet wet. But he said to himself when he left, I'll be back. And he was back many times over the years. And he brought his family members. And he visited the other villages in the, in the area. And he got to know the area where there was a mass grave. And he put up a memorial. And he spent his whole life, wherever he was, he was always thinking about his brother. Like he said, by the pyramids in Cairo, I'm thinking about my brother. I'm thinking about my brother on a plane to Dimanhur. I'm thinking about my brother when I'm in the White House. I'm thinking about my brother when I'm in the Kremlin. He's always thinking about his brother and he's hoping that one day he's going to be reunited with his brother. And it, it came very I don't want to Again, I don't want to give it away. You read the book. You, 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 you read about his search. The whole family was involved. They all were involved. His kids were involved. His grandchildren were involved. And there was a big, big trip of the whole family that they all flew out to the Ukraine because they really thought they tracked down his brother. And, uh, you know, you'll read it and you'll see what happened. But, it, but it's really, it's been one of the pivotal moments of his life. His whole life has revolved, in a sense, about finding his brother. He never forgot him. Yeah. Right. One of the chilling parts of the book is reading uh, his account of meeting the executioner of Eichmann. Uh, as a product of the war himself, he came out, this is something that he grew up with, and then to meet face to face with the person right. given the task of really carrying out something that, uh, that for some thought was controversial, but for many who had lived through the horrors felt that this was the, the final Nakama. You know, what, what was that like? So, first of all, that was a very important thing. Really, the Eichmann trial, until the Eichmann trial, in Eretz Yisrael, Holocaust survivors were unable to talk about what they went through. They looked at them, the Israelis said, we're the Sabras, you went like sheep to the slaughter, we're the new Israelis, the tough Israelis, the ones who fight, and you're, you're, you're just like a bunch of old Jews from Europe. And nobody could talk about the Holocaust. It was only when they caught Eichmann and they brought him to Eretz Yisrael and they put him on trial that finally it was like a, a pus-filled wound that they released the pus and finally people were able to talk about what happened. So it was this like catharsis for the entire country. It was everyone. So now this Jew, they chose him because he, he was an Ashkenazi. He did not go through the war. And they Dafka chose a Yemenite who had no connection to the Holocaust to do the job. He was not from at the time, and he, he, he said, he, he, he was a person 
as a car is the toys, to be able to do such a thing, it's an amazing thing. The fact that they killed Eichmann was huge. It was, and Baruch Hashem, they did it. And at the same time, you should know a little bit later, from what I understand, they were, oh, they were tracking down Mengele. And they had a choice to get Mengele or to get Yasla Shumacher. And they could only go for one or the other. And in the end, they went for Yasla Shumacher and they let go of Mengele. So Eichmann ended up being really the, the major high-profile Nazi who was caught and put to death in Eretz Yisrael. And this year, this Yemenite year, who had no shaykhs to the Holocaust, was the one who did it. And he he's feels very good about it. You know, his life had all these stages. He went from being a, a non-religious person to today a person in Mamasha. I don't know today where he's at, but back when the story, when it would happen, he was a Zaydi with a beard and payas, and he looked like a from Yid, and he was a from Yid. He became a, you know, a person who learned Torah, but it all started in that jail in Ramla. You know, since the book came out, I spoke to Yisrael quite a few times, and I was taken by his Erlichkeit, by his Edelkeit. He's just a, a, such a refined person, and in the book itself, you see it numerous, numerous times, specifically in regard to the Wanunu story, which is, you know, you, you speak about a journalist. What's a journalist's greater dream than to be able to break a story? And here was a story that he knew about, and yet he didn't report it, and then someone else did report it. Talk about that, and you see how he really, really held to tremendous personal and journalistic standards. So, Hilly, I mean, you read the book, you understand there's a certain type of, of policy the army has with sharing, um, with sharing information. They tell the journalists a lot of information which they're not allowed to share but they share it with the journalists. And then the journalists are given permission to share some information with the public. He is very careful. Now, you have to also understand that Yisrael Katzimer doesn't have such a, he didn't have such a taiva for scoops because Hamadiyah was never looking for scoops. It was never about that. Hamadiyah was, was report the news, report what's going on, and he didn't have to look for the scoops that, let's say, a journalist from Ma'ariv or Yedir Tachonot or Haaretz would be looking for. So Yisrael Katzimer didn't have to worry about that. He wasn't, he wasn't looking for that. Wherever he went, he wasn't looking for those kind of scoops, and he did. But this other person did break the law, this other journalist, and he got into trouble for it. But he knew that Yisrael Katzimer could, could come and give witness that he, that he was right. And so he ends up asking for Yisrael Katzimer for a favor. Yisrael Katzimer did the favor for him, and Yisrael, he told me, Yisrael Katzimer told me that this journalist, he's a very anti-Haredi journalist, very anti-religious, who made comments to him that were very, very not nice. But when it came down to him and he needed his, and he needed his soil Katzover, his soil Katzover came through for him. He helped him. He cleared his name. And he was, again, he, he's a person, this is just one example. He's a person, where I, I met a lot of people. I was with, at, a, at a dinner party with his soil Katzover and some of the highest, really high people in Israel's industries, different mayors, different people, the, the president of the Bank of Israel, when he opens his mouth to talk, everyone listens. He has this, a commanding presence without trying to be commanding, without a sense of authority. He opens his mouth, he speaks, everyone listens because what he says, besides the fact that you see he's, he's, he's tremendous, he, the amount of information he knows. So let me ask you about that. I'm, I'm, I'm curious because the, in this book, Yisrael Katzover speaks to spies, he speaks to world leaders, he talks about uh, nuclear Iran. There are so many different topics that he touches that some might think 
are really controversial. Is there a problem with someone like Yisrael Katzover speaking today about things that some people might say, you know, you're, you're uh, compromising on Israel's security or you're re revealing uh, war secrets and things like that. Did you encounter that as the author of this book? Did you find that there were things that you uh, either had to run by authorities in the government or, you know, anything of that sort? Of course. Every, he has to clear, a, a lot of the material that he told me was already cleared by the censor. Mm -hmm. But for, I'll give mm -hmm. you an example. I, I said to him, I want to take what, in my opinion, is Israel's best operation, which is the Iran, the stealing of Iran's nuclear secrets, which I think is incredibly daring, audacious, and it was a tremendous success. And I wanted, I told him, I would like to write the operation more or less from beginning to end. And he said, I will, and he wrote it up. He cleared it with the censor. The censor gave permission for everything we wrote. And then we wrote the information. There are some things, he explained this to me also at length. There are some things that, let's say a journalist wants to write information, which the censor hasn't cleared. They can say, this information was reported by the New York Times and then write it. As long as they don't write it themselves. So there's many different ways, but everything that is written in the book is, was cleared for publication. There's nothing that's, you know, anyone's going to be upset about. But it is definitely what he called his column, privileged information and information which, for example, I'll give you an example, which I love, is the story of how he went to Turkey many times and there he met the, the, the community of Jewish people, or they're not, they're not Jews, but people, and there's about 50,000, 60,000 people in the Balkans Turkey and Greece that worship, they still follow Shabzai Tzvi. And he's their, he's their Rav, he's their Rosh Hashiva, their Rebbe. And they have shuls, and he met these people. He was in their shuls, he met people who follow Shabzai Tzvi's derech, he, was, he met their Rabbanim. And this is something which you don't get to meet. And Yisrael Katsavar, through his kisharim with different communities, ends up really being part of, of a society that exists, but nobody is able to get into society. But Yisrael Katsavar does. And, it, and it, wherever he goes. Yeah, Reb Nachman, this book is, is packed. People must read it. It's a must read. Uh, they will not be able to put it down. It's packed with tremendous amount of history, intrigue, uh, and inspiration as well. I, I think people are going to find everything in this book. So thank you for the time that you put into this. Thank you for enriching us. And uh, hope to speak to you again soon. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure.